As it turns out, uh, as we get started, um, we are very good about um, trying to break down day by day what happened during the, the Passion Week, for going from Palm Sunday, uh, the triumphal entry, through uh, Resurrection morning, uh, all the way through. Um, what what uh, you may not be aware of, we're, we're going to do the back story today. Do you know what happened the week before? Mm. We're going to do the week before. Actually, we're going to do the weekend. Probably what, what amounted to, uh, it could have been somewhere in that week prior to that. And, and if someone said, well, where was he just before he got to Jerusalem? You're now going to know the back story. It's a story you know, but you haven't put it in this context. So that, that's part of what will make this uh, fascinating, I think. Uh, certainly, well, I hadn't put it in, in the order in which we're going to put things uh, today. All right, that said... Um, I wanted to start with a, a quote by uh, a prominent uh, Christian author by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer uh, said this, Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again and again. The gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. Such grace, and, and by the way, I'll, I'll pause here to say, sometimes in the, in, we're not doing as much now, but, but in our history, we used to kind of push back against uh, kind of born-again Christians because they believe just kind of believe and you're saved kind of thing and we'd say no it takes works and so we got to work hard and you know, ordinances and obedience and stuff like that and we we kind of went to the corner of saying no it's not about grace it's about works and you got to work hard and they would say no you believe you're saving yourself and we have to trust in Jesus well yes we have to trust Jesus but we have the works we got to do it and and we would go back and forth grace works great worse which was just a silly argument to begin with um, and and put against the backdrop we're going to talk about I want to kind of put that argument to rest once and for all but he's talking about grace itself is free it's a free gift from the Savior but he's talking about costly grace and that's going to be our emphasis today costly grace is the gospel which must be sought for um, such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. And it's grace because it gives a man the only true life. Grace meaning we're receiving something we didn't earn. We're getting something that we couldn't pay for. As Isaiah said, it's done without price. So it's grace, uh, meaning that I don't deserve it. No, you're right, you don't. <laughs> and you get it anyway. That's why it's a gift. If we, get a, if we get something we've earned, we call that a wage. <laughs> this isn't a wage. The wages of sin is death. You earned that. <laughs> but grace is something that's a gift. And it's costly. It's costly because it condemns sin and grace 
because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of his son. You were bought at a price, and what has cost God cannot be cheap for us. There's the price. So, where do we see this? And, and this is the cost that I, as we go through the Easter week, we can see a grace being prepared and given, but we also see the price being paid. And it's beyond our comprehension. Okay, so let's, let's, let's pop over to Luke 18 and 19. Could you go up one? I could actually probably go here, right? Okay. And he took the twelve, and he said to them, he's in the Galilee, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything concerning the Son of Man will be fulfilled as it is written by the prophets. We're going. It's now happening. Luke is going to say they didn't understand. They still did not yet understand exactly what Jesus had in mind. Okay? So, where is he going to go from? Well, this is a picture I've shown before. This is the, the desert wadi that separates Jerusalem from Jericho. Uh, and you can see the town of Jericho right over in here and then this is the this is the wadi this is the Samaritan uh, the the Good Samaritan Road in here in Jerusalem is over here so so it's interesting that when the Savior says we're going to go to Jerusalem he's up here in the Galilee uh, and oftentimes he would travel down through Samaria to come down to Jerusalem. This time it appears at the end of his ministry <clears throat> coming out of the Galilee is that he's going to make his way down to Jericho and then he will cross this specific stretch on his way to go up to Jerusalem. When you're at this spot you see Jericho down there but then you look to your left and you look up and you can see Jerusalem up there. It, it really is going down from Jericho up to Jerusalem. So this is, this is what he's going to do. So he's going to take the, the, the disciples are going to come down out of the Galilee and then they're going to enter into Jericho. Now we need to kind of put this a little bit in, in context and that is that this is three years in. At this point, any, can, could Jesus really kind of go anywhere in Judea and not be known who he is? Too many witnesses, too many experiences. Uh, every time that Jesus has done something like feed the 2,000, which was probably closer to the five or 10,000, uh, those people then go home and tell everybody what's going on. Every time that he heals somebody, they're going to be a living witness running around town that, wait a minute, isn't this the beggar? Well, he's not begging anymore. He's now sees. And, and isn't this the woman with the issue of blood? What happened to her? Well, she's now... 
working in the market. Well, what happened? Well, it was Jesus. And so there, there's just this growing, growing, growing legend and of who he is. And he can't go anywhere without, being, without crowds following him. So, as he, by tradition in the Near East, what would happen at this point is as he is moving with his disciples and whatever followers are with him, as he's approaching Jericho, the word would be going out that Jesus of Nazareth is coming. And people would join him miles and miles outside of town. It would be a massive parade of people coming... But also people in Jericho saying, wow, he's coming, let's go see him. It's like, you know, it would be a little bit if I said to you, by the way, uh, today President Nelson is in the Legacy Chapel here in Plano. How many would be like, well, let's just drive on by, uh, let's go see. Okay, well, that's what's happening with Jesus of Nazareth. This is a bu there's a buzz going on. Now, if you're part of the people in Jericho, and they're all going out to see him. Whatever synagogue leaders and officials in the city of Jericho would say, well, if he's coming, we, we need to have like a, a banquet. You always have a celebratory banquet. Who's our richest guy in town? Maybe he can host the thing and we will prepare the banquet, start gathering the food and kill the fatted calf. And we're just going to get ready to have this massive party in Jericho. And then go out and we're going to then usher him in. So picture this massive group of people coming down the road on the, on the, cutting the north end of town. Then they're planning on him coming and staying in Jericho before he makes the arduous journey up the wadi up to Jerusalem. Can you, can you kind of picture that? Okay. So that, that's kind of where we are at the moment. Now, it came to pass that as he drew near to Jericho, near meaning he's not there yet, right? He's still on kind of in the outskirts of Jericho, okay? Near to Jericho, a blind person was sitting by the road begging. And when he heard the multitude passing by, he asked what it might be. Because now the, it'd be a little unusual. He's on the outside of town. Maybe he can catch somebody coming through. But now suddenly he hears mass, uh, this multitude, crowd coming by. What's going on? Okay. And they brought him word that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now. What's unusual about the request? He's addressing him as the heir. Yes. Son of David. Meaning what? King. King. Absolutely. Messiah. Now, in this town are going to be, you know, traditionally people that would believe that and not. But here's this beggar out there saying, Son of David. Have mercy on me. That's pretty significant. Okay? Now, the response on the part of the crowd would be what? Hey. They, those who went before him, part of the entourage coming in, rebuked him so that he would be silent. 
Number one, you're a beggar. Number two, we have got a party to go to. And number three, what makes you think he's the Messiah? So his status would be a problem. And what he's doing with that, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and called to him to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Now that's interesting. Okay? Um, think about all the times that Jesus just sees like the blind man at the pool of Shalom and he's going to go in and just break out the dust and the mud and he's going to, he can see. Or the, the widow of Nain and he's just going to walk up and say, I'm going to, I'm going to raise your son. How many times is he just healing lepers as he walks up to them? In this case, this is a very interesting question. If, if, you, if there is a beggar outside of Jer Jericho, what is it that he's looking for? Money. Absolutely. That's how this works. He's looking for money. Now, tradition says that if, if a rich person comes along and sees this beggar who's blind and he gives him money, it is then incumbent, it's great marketing on the part of the beggar to then receive the money and maybe stand up if you can and say, um, this man has just given me money and it will make help me get through the next few days. He is a great man and we should be all grateful to have such a great man in our presence. Uh, thank you for being such a wonderful person. Uh, we should all pay attention to this great man. It's marketing. It's marketing and being able to really make a big deal out of this. And by the way, so that means that if I'm really wanting uh, to kind of be recognized, I think I'm kind of great, go out and find the beggar, give him the money, and then I get this little advertisement for, for me. Okay, So it's a nice little deal that they had going here. The more he would celebrate a giver, then he would get more money, and then the giver could walk away feeling like they'd, they'd been celebrated. Great deal. Okay? So he's wanting money. Or, that's, isn't that the Savior's question? Why is the Savior putting it this way? What is it? Wouldn't it be obvious? When, when my cat, the first thing in the morning is making a cacophony. It's a cacophony. As soon as I walk out of the bedroom, I don't look at him and go, what is it that you would like? <laughs> Duh, it's fairly obvious. Why is the Savior phrasing it this way? What is it that you would like me to do for you? Was he questioning or maybe testing his faith? Maybe, maybe questioning faith. He's always ready to serve. He doesn't judge. He just never stops him. Yeah, he, the Savior's certainly ready, and he could have just done it, right? But he's now flipped this. What exactly is it that you would like me to do? Odd question. Yeah. President? Exercise his faith. Yeah, so utilize that faith. Then to do what? But he also, he's having to 
humble himself by and showing his faith by specifically asking. But asking, but asking for what? For sight. He would be normally asking for money. Yeah. Doesn't the Lord always give us money? He's the God of more. He is. Okay? And in this case, though, son of David, he's saying, what is it exactly you want me? Do you want me to... Think about all the lepers who just said, I want to be healed of my leprosy. And he would always say, the God of more, I will heal the leprosy and also give you salvation. There will always be this more added piece, right? So, wouldn't it make sense, though, that this, the, the beggar would say, well, I'm poor and would you please give me money, but the Savior's not, he's broadening that. What is it you want me to do? That's remarkable. That's a remarkable question. Um, and I guess I would take it one step farther in addressing each one of us. <laughs> If the Savior came to you and said, and you'd say, it's, it's the son of David, it's the king. And he said to you, what would you like me to do? Think about that question for a second. What would you ask the Savior to do? I think it's interesting that so many times in Scripture and even in the, in the temple, the Lord knows what our answer is going to be, but he asked us first. He's going to ask us first. But in this case, check inside your heart. If you had a chance to have an interview with the, with the Lord and he said, what is it that you want? <coughs> Prodigal kids? Health? Family? Marriage? Children? What is it you want? I would want eternal life. I, I would simply want... Well, and at certain points, the disciples are saying, can we just live with you? I want to go where you... Peter was like, I just want to go where you go. But didn't they say this man was blind? Yeah. So probably sight is what he called that. Sure. In this case, he would say, I want sight. And, that, and, and that's what he does. But he could ask for anything. The Savior's putting it out there, right? What exactly is it that you want? Well, I'd like the Romans to go away. <laughs> you know, that would be awesome. You know, I think we have our own private desires about the things that we want. And if we had a chance, you know, I don't want much. I just want to cook the perfect brisket. <laughs> you know, we get it stuck in the mundane stuff. I would really like a new house, you know, something like that. And he's going, no, what do you want? What do you really want? And I think it requires us to look at ourselves and say, what do I really want? I was just going to say the same thing. It's the question to make you really think about what you really do want. Because he's saying, what, can, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, we think, you know, I'd like to have these things happen. But if the Savior were right in front of us and say, what can I do for you? And you would think, this is my, this is one question. Yeah. My one quest. And I need to really think about what is the most important thing that I really want. And, and the way that he's putting it, again, if you had a visit like with Elder Holland, and he said, what is it I can do for you? Not, you know, I'm going to do something for you. You tell me what it is that you want. Yeah. Well, I was thinking, um, if I go to the Lord and say, I have this problem. Yeah. And he, he answers that prayer. 
there's the possibility that the following week I will go to him with another problem. Yeah. So I was thinking when he said, if I give you this bread, you'll be full, but you'll hunger again. If the Lord came to me and said, what do you want? I think I would want to say, what am I going to ask for that will be the bread yeah. fill me or the water so that I never thirst again? Yeah, it has shade. It, it, that's perfect. It has shades. And we're going to probably talk, maybe probably when I get back, uh, talk about women uh, and the Savior and women. And one of that is the question put to the Samaritan woman, isn't it? Would you give me some water? And he says, but if you knew who you were talking to, I would give you water and you'd never thirst. And she goes, it's a really, it's a really, it's a real struggle to go haul water back and forth in the hot of the day between here and Jacob's well all day long. I'm really anxious to get the, the, the one where I'd never thirst again. And he goes, uh, you don't get it. <laughs> okay. But it, that's why there is a question that's being asked here, I think, of all of, I'm about to bestow grace on you. You're about to get a gift you didn't earn. What do you want me to do? What could I do for you? Um, now, yeah. The question is, I believe Jesus can see his desire. Then why he asks? Does that mean we have to knock the door? Kind of like the, if we don't ask, um, you, don't, you know what I mean? Like the... She, she, she says that the, the Savior knew kind of what he was going to ask for, right? He, he knows. He definitely Yeah. If, if it was just going to be a simply a matter of, have you got a couple of denarii for me? He, he, would have, he wouldn't have said, son of David, would he? Hey, rich guy. <laughs> have, you got, have you got a few denarii to spare? It'd make my life in the next couple of days a whole lot better. Son of David, have mercy. That says, I know who you are. And the Savior knew. But he had to ask him. Because I don't know if we always think through this. He's going to say, what do you want me to do for you? And he answered, Lord, that I may see. Now the early Arab uh, tradition to this is the fact that they would add a flourish. The mayor may not have been there. But I actually kind of like it even better. They always add, that I may see you. And uh, after a lifetime of being blind, his first sight would be the Savior, which I think is kind of cool. Now, why would that be? Wouldn't, wouldn't you think anybody would want to receive their sight that's been blind? He's about to receive costly grace. He didn't earn the healing, but he's about to get it. What's going to be the cost for the Savior to do this? Well, that's coming in the next week. This is just a few days before triumphal entry. But what's going to be the cost to the blind beggar? What is the cost of grace? He's, he's got to be humble. He can do that. 
What else? What else did it cost? In this situation, he's going to be persecuted. He may be persecuted. He brought this on, except it's a little, you know, we see the other blind man in the temple kind of being persecuted. The Savior healed him, and then he got thrown. His costly grace was to get thrown out of the temple and out of the synagogue. That cost him. What's the cost to this blind beggar in Jericho to receive grace? Similarly, he doesn't have a craft. No. To the boy that was the prodigal son, he, he, he will not be able to see, but he's probably an older man and he has no way to support himself. D d does that make sense? One of the things that he's made his living, I mean, people get up in the morning and they're going to go herd sheep or they're going to go be a tailor or something like that. His living was to go and sit outside of Jericho and, and beg for money. And now he's probably older. He has no craft. What did he just lose? He just lost his livelihood. And then the humility. Let's say that, uh, I mean, what are his possibilities? <laughs> For a man that is older now with no apprenticeship, no crafts, no training, ooh, I can maybe herd sheep, but who usually herds the sheep? Especially from the, from the village out to the, and remember we just got done with six hours of sheepness. You guys have got your degree in sheepness. <laughs> who usually does that herding out there? These little boys. Now the shepherd out there, if you're going to get far enough out there, the shepherd himself, the good shepherd will be there. But if it's a daily hike and this is the spring time, um, no, the boy, young boys can usually run them back and forth. Okay, So it may be a little boy and an old guy <laughs> who's suddenly trying to make a living after living a life of begging. He's about to lose a lot. But at least he has options. Yeah, and and those but those options require humility, and and his ability to humble himself. And those options are whatever you would be willing to. I would because because now don't you think he now goes into the town and what what question does he ask? Watch real closely. What question would the beggar ask once he sees? And now he's going to go talk talk to artisans or people in the town. What may I do for you? Now there may be somebody who would offer, but I would think that he's got to go from the next day. He's got to get up the next morning. He can now see. It's wonderful to see the sunrise. But now he's got to get up and start going to people in the village and saying, what can I do for you? Yeah. That's how it works. It's, it's ministering, right? What can I do for you? I think that's, the, that's what makes this question so incredibly impactful if we see it for what it is. Beautifully, beautifully placed in context. What can I do for you? Now. And Jesus said to him, Receive your, your sight, your faith has saved you. It's not, it's not your, your faith has given you sight. 
Your faith has saved you. And we talked about this in December, but let, but let me come back and revisit this for just a second. Because I think that this moment, is this, this is critical. Your faith has saved you. The, the, the word being used here, the Greek word is sozo. And sozo has this dual meaning to it. It is, sozo means saved, and sozo also means healed. And we talk about the Savior as Savior, but it also 